This is off the recently released album. Some might say, former Major League pitcher, 17 years, man with a World Series ring, a spot in the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame, Bronson Royal and his band, the 04. Bronson joins us now. Uh, congratulations on the uh, album release, and uh, thanks for your time, Bronson. Welcome to uh, 1620 The Zone in Omaha. No, oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Hey, how do we go from, and you've always been somebody that's been around music from your upbringing in Key West, and I always remember you'd have a guitar in the clubhouse, but how does a guy go from his love of music and your connections with music um, to the, the what the what was it, the rock room when you were with the Diamondbacks that you guys created and, you're, and you and your teammates are in there jamming uh, to let out a little bit of stress? How do we go from that point to this moment for you where you guys release an album? Yeah, it's a... You know, it's a slow evolution. I picked up a guitar when I was 22. I was in the minor leagues with the Pirates. And, you know, the, at that time, the only thing you could think about was just, you know, playing Matchbox 20 and live and Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And you would hear these songs coming out of your own fingers. And it was almost like a magic trick in a lot of ways. And it just got under my skin and felt like it was something that I was going to have to do for the rest of my life. And then, you know, you're thinking about playing around a campfire. And then next, it's an open mic night. And then, you know, I put out a cover album in 2005. And, and then I'm the last decade I'm playing around Cincinnati with a cover band. And, you know, it just felt like a natural progression of, of trying to write my own stuff. I had in the past, I had written, you know, songs for elementary schools when I would go talk to kids and stuff, but it was a little different to think about an idea of writing songs that you would hear on the radio that you felt proud of. And, uh, this is kind of my first crack at that. I know kind of growing up in, you know, Sharpie just mentioned too, you, you've been around music. Now this was something with your, your aunt, is that correct? That was always uh, someone that was kind of a, a musical influence. So it, it kind of been around you pretty much your entire life. No, it, everybody in my family was playing some sort of an instrument. My grandmother down in Key West, Florida was, was a music teacher okay. for about 70 years. And if you grew up on the Island, you know who she is and you probably were taught by her. And, but she also would have students come in the house in the evenings after school. So it'd be anybody from like a six-year-old to a 60-year-old coming in, sometimes learning the piano, the violin, or the cello, and sometimes there would be small little orchestras rehearsing for shows and stuff. And so I always had music around me. My father was playing in bands in high school, so he was always singing in the car. And it was something that was kind of in the background. I didn't really touch on it at all until I was 22, though. It was something that was just in the background of my life. And then when I got that acoustic guitar, it started feeling like, oh, this is something I feel like I can do myself. Hey, I know how much, and, and he's he is incredible, how much Eddie Vedder means to you from Pearl Jam and how he really helped you sift through what of the 10 songs should be on this album. But who are some of the other artists that have also moved you that people are going to listen to this, and they have listened to you, even if they go back to 2005 and the CD you released, and go, man, that kind of gives me a little memory of blank. Who are some of those artists that have moved you, Bronson? Yeah, you know, other than Pearl Jam, it's it's, you know, Stone Temple Pilots and Nirvana, you know, you can hear a little bit of the Lumineers in a song called Never Let yeah. You Go. It's a little folky mm-hmm. and, and sweet on the song, on the album. Um, you know, Tom Petty has is, is always been kind of like a, 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 a backdrop to my, to my life as well. I mean, he's written so many hits, and you can hear a little bit of that on Some Might Say. You know, and some of these influences, I just, you couldn't help them just coming out in my vocal because it's stuff I've been singing, the stuff I've been listening to for such a long time. So you can definitely hear a lot of those parts on the record. Well, and Bronson with the the lyrics too, and I know some artists will say this is just an absolute glimpse into my life. These are personal moments and others would say these are maybe more, I guess, observations, if you will. Where where would you say your lyrics, especially with some might say, might fall under? Some might say was written about me observing – Liam Gallagher from from Oasis back in the day. You know, I saw him play in Philly one time before before they before they hung him up, and 
And he was so cocky on the stage, and he never would even acknowledge the crowd, barely. I'd just never <laughs> seen a front man be so ridiculous like that. And uh, that, that was, some might say, is basically like in the second verse, you hear me say, some might say to give up, I'm going to run my mouth, I'll never be shut up, because I got the mic, and you're going to have to listen to me. And that's, that's my portrayal of what he was giving off on the stage. That's where that song came from. And most of the album is me writing from an, you know, observing something else. Mm-hmm. The thread that is Bronson Arroyo on this record is kind of optimism, you know, present tense, um, you know, living for the moment because we all will die soon. And you'll hear some of that in Nights Alive. You'll hear some of that in Higher Ground. And it's weaved through the entire record. But I was mostly writing about um, observations of the world. Okay, so how do you make a transition to writing your own material? You know, it's just, it took me a long time to figure out how I was going to finish songs where you weren't second-guessing yourself about the lyrics, about how cliche it sounded, or I can't write that line. So what I did was in... I brought a lot of riffs back from the guys in the band from California or some I had written myself, and I, I started getting a writing partner. So around Cincinnati, I was writing with a kid named Chris Lambert or um, Elliot Sloan from Blessed Union of Souls, if you guys remember mm-hmm. that band yeah. from the early 90s. He, uh, you know, he's helped me a lot. We would sit in the house. I would bring the idea. I would bring the song, and he'd say, what do you want to write this about? And in about four hours, we would have this, this junky demo. And, it, you know, when you write three lines in, of, of lyrics, in a verse and you really in, you're really loving it but you can't think of how to say that fourth line and get the point across the way you want in the right amount of syllables if somebody's there to kind of get you over the hump mm-hmm. that started becoming a thing i started figuring out like hey i can finish songs now with one other person and it just became kind of my ritual now when you finally i, I know this kind of went from you know maybe some jam sessions having the guitar you know around the teams that you played for but there was a moment, correct, in, in what, in 04, where you actually played sort of live and actually got to hear yourself through a microphone. And was it Kevin Millar that you performed with? Yeah, it was. Oh. that was in 03. I was, getting, I was getting the Minor League Pitcher of the Year Award from Bud Selig in Boston, and I run into Peter Gammons and Theo Epstein, the general manager of the Red Sox, and they said, we've got a charity event tonight. It's a rock and roll show. Why don't you show up? So I came, hanging out backstage, and Peter Gammons asked me if I wanted to play a song, so I jumped up and played Black by Pearl Jam with uh, with Jack McDowell uh, yes. guitar from the White Sox. And and so that, that kind of was the first time I'm sitting in a real rock club with a thousand people staring at me in a microphone, and it just it felt so good to do that. Yeah. And then that, that kind of propelled me to thinking about playing live and kind of you know moving the ball a little bit forward with my music. A former Major Leaguer Bronson Arroyo now, just uh, off of his new release, uh, Bronson Arroyo in the 04, some might say. You are, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up Theo and, and Peter's event because they – uh, Theo brought that to Chicago as well, but it was such a big thing. Was it um, hot, hot cool music? Hot, or, hot stove cool music. Uh, yes, yeah. hot stove cool music, and it was a fantastic event. Um, but you also, as you performed and you put the O four together, you're not only very talented, but you've also got some really good guys that are in the band. Tell us about the other members of the O four. Yeah, it's the reason they're called the O four. We all met in that year. We won a World Series that year. And we would always come back and perform at the Hot Stove Cool Music together. We also would play, you know, some house parties. We would hang out late night and just jam around the house, and I would record it sometimes. And it's Jamie Aronson on guitar. He's, you know, Miley Cyrus's guitarist for the last 15 years. American Hi-Fi was his original band out of college. I got my buddy Clint Walsh playing on it, who's played, you know, with the Motels and Gnarls Barkley. Eric, Eric Gardner's on drummer, who's played with Tom Morello and Morrissey, and he's been out with Melissa Etheridge the last couple of years, 100 dates a year. So, you know, it's it's a band of guys that, they're all pros, but we've been friends for the last 20 years and really have just hung out like childhood friends. And so we always said we were going to write an album together, and uh, I don't think they 
thought it was really going to come to fruition because I don't know if they thought I had it in me to, to go and write 24 songs to try to put a record yeah. together. But but I did. I mustered up the energy, and they were pleasantly surprised and said, all right, well, let's go on this ride. So, I mean, using a little bit of your competitiveness when you're on the mound, and now you're competitive and you want more and more and you've got all this to choose from, how were you able to nail down to get down to the songs that you wanted on the album? Because you just mentioned you had 23. You got down to 10. How did you do it? Yeah, you know, I took... I took probably the best uh, 15 that we just thought were complete and had, you know, a lot of times I've got, you know, a handful of songs that I love the verses, but I just don't love the choruses. And and they're going to have to be rewritten at some point if they're going to be used on anything. But I took probably the top 15. I took those out to Seattle in 2000 and uh, I believe it was 2020 and, and, um, or no, it must've been 2019 before COVID hit. I took them out to Seattle. I was watching the Reds play out there and uh, took them to Eddie Vedder, played them the demos and, what I basically did was gave everybody in the band an equal vote on what songs they wanted to record, and then I gave I gave Vetter uh, his his opinion a vote as well, <laughs> and uh, we just threw it in a hat, and and it wind up being thirteen songs we cut in the studio, and then ten of them wind up making the record. So now, okay, with a, a new album out, to try to get a little bit more run on this, do you get a chance to perform live as much as you'd like to? Would you like to do more here in the coming year? What's kind of the plan as far as getting out? Yeah, we're, so we've signed on for two big shows. Uh, this Sunday, February 26th, we're at um, Tempe, Arizona, playing at a thing called Innings Fest. And there's another one on March 19th in Tampa, Florida as well. And those are being headlined by Eddie Vedder, Green Day, the Imagine Dragons, and Dave Matthews. And there's, I mean, Weezer's there and Third Eye Blind and wow. the Black Crows. It's, it's a big festival, and it's kind of tailor-made up my alley because it's, it's a bunch of old baseball players there doing autographs <laughs> and, and teaching baseball. And uh, then you've got the rock side of it as well. So we're just performing this year as musicians. And um, after those two shows, you know, we're going to see if we can find pockets of time in, in the other guys in the band's schedules yeah. to see if we can play some places like New York, Chicago, you know, Nashville, just find some real key cities to kind of uh, push the record. Because I, I would love to, to play live with, the, with these guys as much as I can. Hey, do you see many parallels between the baseball side and the music side, maybe from the business side as well? The business side is completely different. You know, in baseball, you've got... You've got a union that takes care of the players, and the, the lines are very black and white. All the rules are very distinct, and everybody knows them. In music, I'm, I'm literally going to ask guys who've been in the industry for 30 years, and you ask one person, and they have a totally different answer than somebody else about how you get paid in publishing. You know, it's like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, almost like the Wild West in music, and it seems like a, a landscape that wouldn't be fun to go into if that was your life's work. I'm glad that for me it's just kind of like a passion and not my life's work, but um there are some similarities between, you know, playing live. You, you know, you're still getting nervous before a show. You're, you're thinking of your lyrics. You're warming up. You can see guys in the band, you know, their, their body demeanor change as, as, as set time is approaching closely as it would if you were in a baseball locker room. Bronson with, uh, again, winning the World Series in 2004 and just one of, in fact, it's one of my favorite 30 for 30s too is the four days in October and, and kind of seeing the character that Kevin Millar is with the camera and you being a big part of that as well. Is there has there ever been requests to uh, maybe have a song or two about any experiences <laughs> in the uh, ALCS and that great comeback or even the uh, the A Rod play? I, I got to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I know it's funny. It's uh, you know, there's there's so much baseball history in my in in my life. I played for 22 years. You know, seven in the minor leagues, and and honestly, in those minor league years, it feels like. The, those are probably the, the experiences you want to write about. Those were the hardships, man. Playing in the big leagues was a beautiful ride, but. Um, you know, musically, I was trying to write on this record about, you know, external subjects because it, I don't know, it just, it, it feels like the music I loved as a kid was like, you know, a little darker. It was yeah. just, you know, stained and it was, 
uh, Pearl Jam, and, and you could just tell, you know, guys like Kurt Cobain were writing from hardships in life, and I hadn't had a lot of that. I've just been this optimistic guy, so I, I found it I find it hard to write about my baseball experiences at this point. But as you as you hone your craft, and if you listen to guys who've really written a lot of songs in their life, and I'm I'm talking like you know four or five hundred songs, they all say it, you just got to workshop it. You got to go down mm-hmm. in the basement and just do it every single day for a few hours, and you'll kind of find that formula. You've uh, done a lot of stuff in baseball. You got a World Series ring, Gold Glove, All Star Game. You got a place in the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. I would be remiss uh, if I didn't ask you. Um, your feelings on your former manager, Dusty Baker, finally winning a World Series last year. Oh, man, he's he's my favorite manager I've ever had. I mean, he's the most eclectic dude I've ever been around. I mean, he is just an absolute beautiful human. He called me the night before the World Series started out of the blue. Usually he calls from, like, an unknown number. And uh, <laughs> I pick up the phone. It's Dusty Baker. He's hanging out. He, you know, I'm thinking, oh, he's got to be slowing down now. He's about 75. And, man, he is. <laughs> just as chipper as he was when I met him. I mean, he sounds like a 24-year-old kid. And uh, he said, I said, well, if you win this thing, Dusty, and he said, no, not if we win. He said, we're winning this one, Bronson. We're going to win this thing. He told me the night before the World Series. And, uh, you know, I was just so happy for him. I actually played a a Pearl Jam set, a tribute to Pearl Jam, the night they won it. And we were going on the stage literally seconds after they won the World Series. And I shot a video of the crowd and had them say congratulations to him and send it to him off the stage. Uh, Bronson, and to, to wrap on this, it, I, again, I know a lot of people would probably draw their attention to your World Series uh, run with, with Boston, but as Sharpie mentioned, too, the, in the Reds Hall of Fame, and I know that was just recently, too, when you kind of look back at the moments that, that you uh, really accumulated as a baseball player, I mean, is do you feel like that accomplishment, too, with uh, being a part of you know the, the Reds Hall of Fame is is right up there with what you experienced in Boston just for a short time? Yeah, you know, I mean, if you're just thinking about a moment in my career, I mean, obviously the World Series is impossible to match, I mean, right. after 86 years. But but if you're looking at a collection of, of just, you know, hitting singles and, and, and seeing how long you can survive in the game, I mean, to play nine years for the Cincinnati Reds, put up 108 wins in that uniform, only 90 people have been inducted into the oldest franchise in the game in the Cincinnati Reds. And for my face and my bust to sit on a wall from now until they blow that stadium up, uh, you know, next to guys like Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and, and Joe Morgan, you know, these legends of the game that I've gotten to, to know over the last 15 years is, is absolutely been remarkable. Hey, this is a great music city. We have to find a way, Bronson, to get you here to Omaha to perform. All right. Well, I'm going to be talking with the guys. We're going to try to put a little something together and hopefully hit all these cities. Hey, that's fantastic. Congratulations on the release of Some Might Say. People can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, wherever you can find your music. Uh, Hard-driving guitars, powerful choruses, vivid. There's a lot of of emotion in it, and it's uh, fantastic. Bronson, we appreciate your time. Continued success, and hopefully we'll get you here to Omaha. Yeah, man, great. Thanks, guys. That's uh, Bronson Arroyo. Good stuff. Some Might Say is uh, where you can uh, find it. Now he's ventured into a uh, different uh, career. Yeah, when he was with the Diamondbacks and he had Tommy John sur- surgery, so he was out for the year, Kirk Gibson created, it was like a storage room in the bowels of Chase Field, and it was their rock room. That is so cool. And so they basically, with the Diamondbacks, A.J. Pollock was involved, Aaron Hill was involved, uh, Wade Miley was involved, and they all, Mark Trumbo, outfielder, uh, they all... Everybody jam had, Yeah, they had a jam session. That's so cool. And then, like, CeeLo Green came in to visit... Uh. But Eddie Vedder, hello. Yeah, God. yeah, decent advice. Well, and, and having some uh, some influences with the Foo Fighters too. It's one of my favorite bands. Uh, like, yeah, it's it's just kind of cool because I remember when I first heard Bronson Arroyo was in music, and this was a while back. This was probably like in 2013 or 14. 
I remember listening to one of his tracks, and you know, there, there's some people who try to make that transformation, and it's just like you almost want to pat him on the head and say, "Ah, cool, good for you. Uh, you got a hobby." Like you heard Bronson Roy, and you're like, "Dude's got some musical chops. Oh. Like he's that, that's not bad at all." And I was listening to a couple of the tracks coming in this morning, and. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's pretty good. From the, some might say, the song. Some might say itself is actually pretty, pretty solid. So yeah, it's definitely worth a listen. You can check it out. His influences when he mentions all these bands, I'm like, man, you just describe yeah. me growing up, like middle school and high school. Some of these bands I got a chance to go see live with my friends when I used to go to a lot of concerts, and so yeah, it's like I mean, right up my alley. A lot of the Seattle and, and, and even scene the darker too, yeah. stuff too. Yeah. So this is the deal here. So we're going to bring back local music Thursday. Where, if you remember when it was just the Gary Sharp show, uh, we'd have local music Thursday. So all of the music you'd hear on a Thursday would be from local artists. And that's kind of where we got in touch with Zach Miller. Marty Cordero, who is a big music guy, and his band that he plays drums mm-hmm. for. Uh, why can't we have a little uh, double billing of uh, Marty's band and Bronson Royal's band out at uh, Warner Park sometime this summer? It almost makes too much sense. It's genius. It just makes too much sense. On a cold day like today, that sounds nice, warm, and inviting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely genius. Yep. And then we can have Bronson Royal throw out the first pitch, and he can hang his leg in the air. Yep. That familiar yep. delivery that he had. And then tag, try to tag someone out, running up first baseline. Did did it not, when Bronson was describing that you know he was playing the guitar, he was in the minors, I immediately thought of... Uh, <laughs> of Nick LaRouche. I thought of Bull Durham. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Women don't get woolly, they get weary. <laughs> uh, Bronson Royal in the 04, some might say. Uh, good tracks on there. Uh, and if you missed any of the interview, good stuff. Uh, man, maybe hook us up with Eddie Vedder. Look at yeah. Eddie Vedder, he'll pop into Omaha. He's a baseball fan. And Mike Stibbs will have a coronary. <laughs> Which is okay. And if it happens, one of our uh, weekly guests, like, hey, sorry, we have to bump you. Why? Well, Eddie Vedder is going to come on and. Can you forgive us? It's a little, and I'm the furthest thing from a Cubs fan because they broke my heart. But um, his yes, little, Eddie Vedder is a Cubs fan. Yeah, he is, and his little acoustic rendition of I think it's uh, someday we'll win it all or something like that. That's a, actually a, it's a good little tune, good little bar tune that I think he just came up with and his his passion for the Chicago Cubs is right before they did win it all, and uh, I still have it on my playlists. Begrudgingly, I'll sometimes skip past it, but other times I'll listen to it because it's a good song. Harry Carey and uh, Eddie Vedder singing the seventh inning stretch. There's mm-hmm. nothing like it. Uh, coming up next hour, chance to win uh, tickets to our exclusive uh, watch party tomorrow night for Cocaine Bear. You, right. you don't want to miss this because what's going to happen is we're going to get through the weekend and everybody's going to be talking about Cocaine Bear and you'll be able to say, I went with the guys from 1620 yep. to watch it. It was the idea that originated in this studio on this show. You get to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. So we will have tickets to give away to our over-the-air listeners and our streamers in the next hour. Scott Shanley, Brandon Vogel as well on 1620 The Zone.